Hello and welcome to the Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London podcast. This is episode three, which we're excited to bring you, and we've got a whole host of guests and topics to talk about uh, this time around. I'm joined, as ever, by my co-host Tom Gilchrist and Ben McFadden. Uh Tom, uh, how's it going? Yeah, it's not too bad, thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of getting sick of the sight of the walls of my own flat and... <laughs> You know, very much missing the outside, very much missing football. But I'm, I'm keeping sane. I'm, 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 you know, fighting off the cabin fever as much as I can. Same, same position for all of us, I think. Ben, how's it going for you? Ah, uh, always excited to talk about Borussia Dortmund. Jay, uh, hey Tom, um, no complaints really this end. Trying to get my head down and do some studying, which uh, it's not that easy without the uh, library and all the noisy stuff going on down there. But excited to, um, excited to talk about Borussia as always. Fantastic. I don't know how you're studying, Ben, because no. like, to me, time is an irrelevant concept now. All the days are merging into one. Everything yep. seems the same. I keep putting stuff down and forgetting where it's gone. I think, you know, I'm, I don't know, getting early amnesia. I, well, I don't know what's happening to me. I, I think I need the football season to regulate my life. And yeah. without it, I've just uh, I've lost all you know, control of being an adult, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I know it's hard. It's very, very hard watching all those old matches from back in the day. Um, but I haven't, I haven't quite got through all Dortmund's great games, considering uh, they've been a pretty classic team for the last sort of twenty years or so. So um, there's a hell of a lot to get through, frankly. But I'm getting yeah. through one at a time, and I'll, I'll let you know when I've got through all of them. All hey. of the British Dortmund games or classic games? The classic, my my classics on my on my list of. Uh, on my list of classic ones to watch. There's quite a few though, isn't there? There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot. It should get us through to about August, I should think. Well, before I let before I let Tom introduce our uh, our guest for this episode three of the podcast, um, big news. Did I say Borussia better this week? Well, I, I think you did. Yeah, Borussia, definitely. We're getting Borussia. better. And I'm looking forward yeah. to Tom's pronunciation of uh, of our guests. Uh, yes, I'm our looking guests. forward to that as well. Yeah, his, after, his, after that, yeah, Tom, 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 it's over yeah, well, to you. Jay, Jay, has been, Jay has been ridden by this, listeners for his pronunciation of the football team that we're reporting on. So that's pretty bad. But uh, hey, here we go. Uh, coming up on the show, well, first of all, let's introduce our wonderful guest. Uh, first of all, let me introduce Matt Addison. He is the uh, he's part of the Blood Red Liverpool FC podcast and the sports service editor of the Liverpool Echo. Welcome, Matt. Hi there. Thank you very much, guys. I, yeah, not the sports editor quite yet at the Liverpool Echo, but a, a football writer. That is how so. you were. Oh, OK. Right. Well, I, I'm just kind of pitching your own <laughs> for you there. Right? Uh, <laughs> pressure on you. The yeah, soon-to-be sports no editor. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't play this to your colleagues. I think that might uh, rather much. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah um, welcome to the show. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about uh, Liverpool at FC and uh, and the link between Borussia Dortmund and uh, the special relationship between the two clubs. Plenty of things to talk about there, so we're looking forward to getting to that. But first, let me introduce our second guest, Konstantin Ekner, who's the editor of Spielverlagerin. Did I get that right? Uh, almost. Almost. <sighs> almost, yeah. We were practicing our fair. Spielverlagerin? Spielverlagerung, yeah. Almost. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's all right. It's all right. Or, or as, or as um, mo- most of the Brits call it, uh, Spielfair. Spielfair. I yeah. can say that. Yeah. There we go. I don't know why, but <laughs> the editor of Spielfair, uh, Constantine, uh, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, you know, slowly trying to keep it together. But how are you coping without all the all the football? 
And, and well, generally... uh, I'm, I'm getting used to it. Um, I don't know. I, I can't even remember when the last match really happened. When was it? <laughs> 11th of May or something. 11th of March or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like an eternity, I think. Uh, yeah. It was in, in the 20th yeah. century when we last watched football. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, that's just how, how things are uh, these days, right? We <laughs> just talk po- politics and healthcare. That's, that's all it is. Yeah. Oh, um, well, yeah, exactly. So don't worry, listeners. We're not going to start talking about that here. Um, but Constantine, where are you? Where are you calling from? Uh, from Berlin. Berlin. Okay. So uh, obviously, uh, the 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 other four of us are, are from England. Uh, may I ask just how things are in in Germany at the moment? I guess better than in most of uh, the rest of Europe. I guess um, yeah. in terms of just um infection rates um mortality rates um mm. but still i mean berlin is in lockdown uh, in a state of lockdown uh, so are uh, the rest of germany um and i mean there are quite heavy measures uh quite drastic measures in, in berlin you can't sit on a park, park bench right now um mm. you're not allowed to uh, so yeah you see but uh, some of the some of these restrictions will be lifted soon um and they are even as a chance that the Bundesliga will turn without a crowd, of course. But yeah, yeah. I know we mentioned on last week's episode. This talks of it coming back sooner than than other leagues. Um, you know, even as early as May uh, behind closed doors. But um, but de- definitely more on that later. But uh, uh, yeah. So well, well, let's just jump into it with the with the latest um, BVB news, Jay. Yeah, so it's been relatively quiet. We talked last on the last podcast about the Bundesliga potentially returning sooner than most leagues across Europe. And this is no surprise to us, German efficiency and organisation and things being you know, done properly. So it's good to see uh, some of the sides back in training, which is, which is really good. Bit slow on the news front. A couple of news stories, but I'm gonna I'm gonna lead into both Ben and Constantine to to come up with some other news stories as well. But I've seen an interesting story the past few days develop um, around the Manchester United uh, interest in Jaden Sancho. Apparently, uh, Mason Greenwood was to be part of any deal last summer uh, to, for Jaden Sancho to uh, to go to Old Trafford, and obviously that may well crop up uh, this summer as well. And the other point I of uh, a news story I noticed is. Um, uh, Real Madrid are in pole position for uh, signing uh, Erling Haaland this summer. So, um, big stories from a transfer perspective, um, both involving big players at Dortmund. Um, ben, do you want to go first and, and share your thoughts on that and any other news that you noticed? Yeah, sure. And before I start, um, it was Uli Hazer, the great uh, Bundesliga author, who pulled uh, Jay up on the, his pronunciation of <laughs> Borussia Dortmund. Constantine notes Uli, I think, as well. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, firstly, I'll just start with Erling Haaland. He doesn't have a release clause until uh, summer 20, 2021, if I'm not mistaken. So he's definitely not leaving uh, this summer, that's for sure. Um, and then regarding... Um, possible destinations. I have absolutely no idea. I was aware that he had a release clause, but it's certainly not going to be this summer mm. um, unless Dortmund decide to release him on some you know, massive, massive deal. Um, and I think at the moment, my opinion is that um, the, and I think a lot of people would agree with this, that transfer fees are likely to be um, pushed down quite a lot because of the circumstances. Yeah. Um, I wrote an article for the Yellow Wall podcast, which is uh, another very good BBB podcast, um, and uh, which Constantine features on sometimes too. And um, 
basically, um, what I was saying was that I think Dortmund takes some hope from the fact that uh, because of the financial crisis situation that um, some of the clubs really are having to really struggle. And I think that should be a point for our news as well. Some of the clubs are really struggling with their finances, managing cash mm. flow and so on. And we can see just how over leveraged some teams are. Um, also very much in Germany. And, um, you know, I, I think that the fact that Dortmund will uh, want to hold out for the maximum amount of money that they can get for Jadon Sancho um, is very much to, to, the, to the club's advantage. Um, and my opinion is that um, neither Haaland nor Sancho will necessarily leave this summer. Um, and I think that if Sancho goes, then Manchester United or whoever... Uh, I believe Chelsea is still in the, in, in the bidding, although uh, Sancho has said that he prefers Man U, um, will 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 be waiting for 100, 100 130 million. Um, so I, 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 I can't see it at the moment. Uh, that's just my opinion, but I'd certainly be interested to hear what Constantine thinks. Yeah, Constantine, just just coming to you on that one. Um, obviously, you know, with the current situation and uh, with the coronavirus pandemic um, hitting, uh, hitting the world and, and particularly Europe, do you think there's a there's an element to truth in that? In that you know Dortmund may actually um, be one of the clubs to to benefit from that situation, in that they may not actually end up losing players this summer because of uh, what what's been going on. I, I can actually see that. Uh, um, I mean, I still think that there's a fair chance that uh, Chad Central at least the club um, in summer in August or something. Uh, if the Premier League is back, um, I guess that's a big if mm. still. Um, if mm. the Premier League doesn't return before August or so. Maybe there is there isn't even a possibility that a transfer happens. Uh, you never know how, how these things uh, how these things goes. Um, I don't see really as as Ben said. Um, there's not really a chance that um, Erling Haaland um, leaves this year because his release clause uh, is active next year and has to be triggered until I think the end of March usually. So it's not even a summer transfer. So if there would be would have been a release clause that should have been already triggered this year, this year. So not a chance really. Um, and there isn't really one this year. It's just it's just um, just more of yeah, fictitious uh, writing in some newspapers that that um, Holland will would leave. Um, so no, I I think that Dortmund can capitalize. On some of the st- struggles other clubs have, especially in the Bundesliga, you can you see it with Schalke and a, a couple of other clubs um, that, that are really struggling because they are in they have been in debt for a while. Uh, have to pay back debt this year, and they can't really because of the lack of um, or because of the lost installment of television rights money isn't coming in, and no ticket revenues and so on and so on. So um, the, the clubs that have structural deficits on the financial and economic side they are really struggling mm-hmm. um dortmund isn't isn't one of them and that puts dortmund in a better position than most of the competition below bayern dortmund and leipzig the, the top top four to top 10 clubs are more struggling in the top three yeah. uh, constantine how how concerned are you about the the, the rest of the, the the bundesliga as you said i mean you, you mentioned the three top clubs there um but is there talks of protection for these clubs in Germany? Uh, I, I know there's been some talk of that, in, something like that in the UK. But uh, yeah. I mean, as you say, I mean, um, the, the, the Bundesliga is very different from the from 
the Premier League and, and, and how English football operates. So just how damaging could this potentially be for other clubs? And obviously, whilst we're saying that it won't directly affect uh, BVB, it's it's a problem because, you know, if, if the competition is, is, is dropping, um, it's, you know, it affects interest in the league and, and, and you know, surely that's a mutually beneficial thing for all clubs. So what's the kind of situation there, do you think? Is it is it a big concern? I think there's a concern, especially regarding clubs that that have been that have been struggling for a while, as such as Schalke. Um, and when you look at this uh, into the second Bundesliga, uh, Hamburg, Stuttgart, uh, these kind of clubs um, that weren't like economically um, weren't really on top before the crisis, and now they are really struggling. I mean, just just look at Schalke uh, as an example. Mm-hmm. Schalke is has um, 198 million euros in debt. They have right. to pay. They have to pay back over 80 million uh, within the next 12 months. Uh, right. They have a calculated minus on their balance sheet uh, for this year. They before the crisis that uh, their calculated minus was uh, in the double digits in the millions. Um, they had a minus of 26 million last year. So just to give you some numbers, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's like wow. in the, in, that would would have they have would have been in the double ditches in the minus double ditches in a bad year in in, in a normal year. Now the crisis comes in, uh, no ticket yeah, revenues. Yeah. Uh, they have to they have uh, to have still to pay salary have to pay salaries for their players. Mm-hmm. I mean there is a salary cut of thirty percent still. They have six hundred employees. Um, <laughs> Two thirds of the of the money that goes uh, that goes into wages go uh, go to the players. Thirty percent are cut. There's still there are millions and millions to be paid. No ticket revenues, no sponsorship deals, um, and no um, and no TV, TV, uh, television rights money. And what mm-hmm. also is uh, something you you should think about is some of these clubs because you can still do it. I mean, there's the fifty plus one rule in Germany, so you, you can't sell the team basically, mm-hmm. but you st- still can can sell. Forty-nine percent of your shares, Schalke, Schalke can't because they are still a club. They are the, the club is the team, but they could they could go into becoming a company just like Dortmund and other others are. That the team is basically a company in itself. That yeah, the club yeah. the club holds fifty-one percent, but they can sell forty-nine percent of their shares. Schalke could do that. They could they have have a, um, a general meeting soon. They could do that, but look at look at the market. Look at investors. Mm. Look at the stock market. Uh, companies are way below their market capitalization right now. So it's not a good time to sell your shares. Uh, you undersell, basically undervalue. Uh, mm-hmm. Your 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 your, your uh, sell undervalue. And I mean, so they are really in dire need for something. But look at Schalke. I mean, 18, 89 million in debt this year. Um, there's no funding, no government fund or no solidarity fund within the league that would like give them 89 million just yeah, to cover their cover that debt. So terrible um, timing for them. <laughs> it's it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. But but it's also like it is. It has Schalke made bad business decisions or has yeah. made a lot of bad business decisions. Um, it would have been a um, a problem anyway. Now it's a bigger one because of the Corona crisis. Yeah. If I could interject there. Um, but um, just to clarify uh, two points there, that one is that, uh, it's in essence, Dortmund is the only stock market quoted football club in Germany. Uh, and basically, they're separated into the playing football team and uh, the professional side and also the business side. 
Um, and then the second, which is quite unusual, I guess, from an English perspective. And then the secondly, exactly as Constantine said, you can only earn uh, 50 plus 1 percent has to remain um, within the hands of the members and so on. Um, and then also I would just add quickly that in essence, and I'm sure Constantine would agree with this, <clears throat> uh, and I'm not saying this just because I'm a Dortmund fan, but Falke have had a history of bad management, uh, which has basically led them to several times being relegated to the second Bundesliga. And, uh, you know, it's not actually that new that they're in this kind of crisis situation. But much more acutely, I think, um, that is the situation of Farfell Bochum, which is the nearest club to Dortmund, who are saying that they could go into um, administration if the league yeah. doesn't start again in May. So I think basically um, I would concur with what um, Constantine was saying. They're saying that, if I'm not mistaken, 13 out of 20 second division teams have potential to go into serious crisis. I would, I would, uh, I would because of the coronavirus. But the other point to make quickly was that um, there is actually a solidarity fund which has been set up by the four top teams, Bayer Leverkusen, Borussia Dortmund, uh, RB Leipzig. Uh, um, by the way, don't let me use that word, RB Leipzig, again. Shall <laughs> <laughs> I bleep it out in the edit? Yeah. Red, red, red football club. And um, and also the the Red Club from Munich, um, uh, who are referred to as the farmers in Germany or the Bauern München. Um, so basically, uh, they've set up a solidarity fund. But as to the extent of that, um, you know, that shows it demonstrates that there's a better financial situation um, in the top four, as Constantine said. But it also shows that there's a strong need for uh, basically for getting support. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I think it's quite a critical situation. Perhaps we should um, discuss some of the p potential transfers. Uh, as we were saying, the transfer market for clubs like the top four in Germany could be quite po possibly stronger than it is for um, some of the lower teams because mm. they're simply in a better financial situation. And there's mm. been some interesting potential transfer uh, targets for Dortmund in the last two weeks. Some gossip. Um, maybe Constantine would like to... to uh, reveal a couple of those players there yeah I, I don't pay too much attention to gossip to be honest uh, especially <laughs> as, no especially right now i mean you you know yeah, I, you, uh, I, I i mean i write for a couple of newspapers i talk to a lot of editors that they have to come up with something right now it's, it's just um uh what, what can you do i mean there are no matches yeah. to report on uh in in terms of in regards to dortmund um there aren't that many rumors i think the only two credible rumors right now are the still the uh, jude bellingham uh, rumor that that he mm. might sign for dortmund um also that also uh, all these international transfers depends on how the crisis goes and how the lockdown and travel restrictions and what happens with all of that uh, yeah. because you can't right now you can't move from england to to germany just like easily, even if you're a, a well-paid professional football player, it's not that easy right now. Uh, and another one is, of course, uh, Thomas Munier from uh, Paris Saint-Germain, um, and he, I think, Dortmund is is in the running, is in pole position to sign him, which I think is a decent transfer, actually, decent signing would be decent signing uh, to get him to get another fullback. Um, there, in regards or in connection to that rumor, is that. Bayern Munich is interested in signing uh, Araf Hakimi, um, which I can see because when you look at the fullback positions at Bayern, there is there is some space Hakimi could mm. fill, um, mm -hmm. especially on the right side with Davis on the left and, and Hakimi on the right. Why not? Of course, 
Real Madrid has still a say in all of that uh, because they just can buy him back and uh, can then sell him to Bayern for a ton of money. Um, so you never know. Um, so, but yeah, in terms of rumors, that's what regards Dortmund. I mean, there are rumors regarding Bayern. Um, basically, it, it comes uh, comes down to Sané, Harvards, or Timo Werner. One of the mm. one of the three will will probably go to Bayern. Constant Havertz is a great player. I like him. Yeah. What do you think of uh, Rashica from Brother Bremen, who they're talking about coming in to replace Jaden Sancho, and then also the midfielder, the Kosovan, 23-year-old midfielder, who I think is pretty talented, and also Ferran Torres as well, um, who's uh, rumoured to be coming potentially quite seriously from Valencia, the right winger, 20 years old, uh, Spain international already. Yeah, so I think uh, Torres... Still depending on what's going on in Spain and uh, how, how everything goes. Uh, but I think Torres uh, might be an option right now. I mean, there are some rumors. And I, I, that I think as far as I know, as far as I have been told, the club uh, has been in contact with his people. Uh, the club in Dortmund uh, has been in contact with, with uh, Torres' people. Uh, Rashica, interesting player, but he will probably end up at Leipzig. Um, they are... In, in touch with his people, uh, they want to sign him uh, in the, so he can replace Timo Werner because the Timo Werner leaves Leipzig is basically a certainty at this point. Uh, it's just, you know, you don't know where he goes. Liverpool, Bayern, Real Madrid, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I, I think Torres is... A sh- but there's, no- there's nothing in place right now who could uh, re- replace Sancho. I think Dortmund is just considering options, uh, but nothing really concrete. Yeah. Definitely. Let's, uh, let's I will just I will just make a note to um to bleep out the team that uh, you mentioned that must not be named. <laughs> um, so you, we raised an, an interesting point um uh, while you were speaking there, Constantine, and uh, I wonder if we could bring uh, Matt into the chat here because uh, you're both sports writers um and you know obviously this time is is very difficult for content. I mean, uh, uh, Matt, how has it been at the Liverpool Echo? I mean, are you just you know hoping that Jaden Sancho drops a hint that he might come to you guys. I mean, I mean, what's uh, what's it like over there? Yeah, I mean, look, for, for the last few weeks, we've kind of had news and stuff to report on. There's been several Premier League meetings. There's been another one today that we've reported on, and it turned out that there wasn't that much news. But in these times, the fact that there was no news kind of is news in itself. So it, it's kind of, you know, it, it's a challenge, um, but it's the same for, for every news outlet. We've yeah. we've started to, to struggle a little bit in a, in a sense of, you know, the obvious ideas are, are sort of used up now over the last few weeks, but... It's a case of being creative and, you know, as, as we've spoken about before, I mean, transfer rumours are, are never going to go away. Jaden Sancho and, and Timo Werner being the big two, really, for Liverpool at the moment. But, yeah, it, it's a case of, of it being uncertain for, for every English club at the moment. And we can sort of speculate and, and talk about, you know, how might these players fit in at Liverpool and that kind of thing. But at this moment in time, you know, Timo Werner, I think, is probably the player that, that Liverpool are most likely to end up with this summer. But... You know, there's nothing going to happen with that whilst coronavirus is happening because we don't know what's going to happen with transfer fees. You know, if his £53 million release clause or whatever it is, is you know, is still going to be in, in place in the summer, then there's no point Liverpool activating that now because we've no idea what £53 million will will get you this summer. Mm. So it's yeah, all right. very uncertain times. And yeah, transfer rumours are, are still a big one. They seem to be, be doing well on our website at the moment. And <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly enough, you know, looking back at Felipe Coutinho as well, people seem to 
seem to like reading about him a lot. So we've been doing a few bits about him. But yeah, it, look, we, we all want football back, not just for, for professional reasons, but just just for something to watch in an evening rather than, you know, as you say, sitting in your flat all day long. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, um, you mentioned Timo Werner there. I mean, and also Jaden Sancho had been linked as well. I mean, I, I, I know he's uh, perhaps what's... Uh, you know the word on the street is that he might perhaps prefer a move to Manchester United, but um, I mean, with these with these two big names being linked with Liverpool, and and, and maybe it's just a case of you need something to talk about, so it's just linking them to big clubs. But with the, you know Timo Werner, would he be a replacement for anyone? Do you think, or is there anyone that you think from a Liverpool point of view that could be on their way out this summer? If well, I say summer, it could be you know autumn who knows but <laughs> yeah well I think you know when, whenever the transfer window opens there's there's always going to be speculation but you know, I, I can't see any of, of Mane, Firmino or Salah leaving Liverpool this summer I think it's very much a case of you know they, they've got those front three and then it's a case of having one more to, to, to rotate in or to use off the bench and that kind of thing so you know whether it was Werner whether it was Sancho or, or somebody else it wouldn't be a case of, of replacing anyone. Certainly, we're not expecting Liverpool to, to lose any players at this moment in time because, you know, quite frankly, as, as big as Real Madrid and Barcelona are at this moment in time, you know, Liverpool are, are European champions. They're on the verge of becoming Premier League champions. So why on earth would you, you want to leave them at this stage? I mean, you mentioned the Sancho and the Werner links coming into Liverpool. I think certainly there's interest from Liverpool in both of those players. Um, you know, it's it's not just speculation. I think Timo Werner's been linked with Liverpool since pretty much since Jurgen Klopp came into the club, and and he's somebody who seems stylistically to fit the way that he wants to play. I think the fact that his release clause is is there, and it's maybe a bit less than than some of the other players like a, a Sancho or a Havertz as well has been linked with Liverpool. I think you know certainly the release clause, the fact that it wouldn't cost a huge amount of money, would make him the favourite to come into Liverpool. Um, Sancho as well I think you know Liverpool wanted him when he went to Dortmund initially uh, Jurgen Klopp has admitted that he said you know if if he hadn't have come from Manchester City then Liverpool maybe would have had a little bit more of a chance at that moment in time to get him so again mm. he's someone they've looked at for a long long time but you know Dortmund are going to ask as you say for at least 100 million pounds for, for Jadon Sancho and that just isn't really a, a Liverpool kind of signing. I think they'll look elsewhere. And it, it's interesting, actually, that, that Ben names Ferran Torres at, at Valencia as being a player that Dortmund are, are potentially looking at. I think Liverpool perhaps might be in the running for him as well because you know, he, he'd be a, a cheaper alternative, really, to, to Jadon Sancho and, and somebody who maybe has sort of similar qualities and, and is a young player who, who Jurgen Klopp can mould and, and make into a player that he likes. So... Yeah, there's loads of, of players being linked. I think that there is, you know, some links are maybe being made up by certain outlets in, in various newspapers. But, you know, we, we always try and, and pick out the ones that are more likely and less likely. And certainly Sancho and Werner are players that Liverpool do like. There's no doubt about that. Um, obviously, uh, your your job has, has, has changed a lot uh, under the current circumstances and, and probably in a very similar situation to Matt. Uh, have you ever been tempted to just sort of make up a rumour just to kind of, you know, stir the pot a bit, keep things exciting? Uh, no, never, actually. Uh, <laughs> because they will, will probably hunt you down and it will, you know, it will come out anyway uh, at one point or another. Uh, or you will get in the... In, in the 
and on the bad side with a with an agent or a coach or a manager or a player you, you never know actually sometimes it's it's rather sad that you have to kill stories uh you you've been working on that were pretty interesting but you gotten you didn't get the right sources or not enough sources to if, if it's something you you want to unveil um so yeah but never made up something <laughs> <laughs> never ever Good to know i mean well yeah like you're gonna admit oh yeah no we make stuff up all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you remember that run rumor and when, when Dortmund was about to sign messi yeah that was me let's uh let, let's take a quick quick break and uh we'll be right back after this So this is episode three of the Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London podcast uh, with uh, our esteemed panel for this week. Uh, and we're very much enjoying the uh, the conversation. So let's move on to our second topic. And we're going to bring in Matt uh, from the Liverpool Echo uh, to talk a little bit about Liverpool and uh, and the season of state. So, so Matt, obviously, you know, we've already talked about difficulties that we're all experiencing at the moment. But it's been a fantastic season for you guys so far, hasn't it? It certainly has. I mean, it couldn't have gone much better, really, in terms of the Premier League season so far. It's it's just a shame that after a 30-year wait for a league title, Liverpool are going to have to wait a few more months. Wait a bit longer, yeah. <laughs> it, it just seems to be one of those things where, you know, whenever Liverpool look close to winning the title, something happens, whether it's Steven Gerrard slipping over or a global pandemic. You just, you can't get away from it. It just, yeah. you know, at times, I think Liverpool fans have, have almost felt like it, it's just never going to happen and it's doomed and, you know, we're, we're cursed, but, you know, that, that isn't the case. It, it, Liverpool are going to come back at, at some point and this Premier League is going to get finished. Mm. Just a case of, of when that is and, and whether or not there's fans there or not, which for me, it's, look, when when the, the pandemic first started, the big thing for me was, you know, we've got to get fans back in the stadium before Liverpool win this thing because it, it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of a disappointment as much as Liverpool are going to win this league. It's, it's not going to be quite so good if if Anfield isn't fallen and people can't be there to to celebrate and join in that moment because mm. as I say, everyone has just been waiting so so long for this to happen. It would be a massive shame really if it was to be behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah, it's, you you raise a really good point there. Um, you know, you know, even if it, if we do get to playing again, and um, you know, and I hope as a football fan that I know there's still there's still that lingering. Do you do you have it in lingering in the back of your mind that the season could be called off, or are you very confident that we will we'll go back to it? No, I think pretty much certainly we will go back to the season. It's just a case of of when that is. For yeah. a number of reasons, to be honest, I think you know all of the the things that we've heard coming out of these meetings between the Premier League clubs is that they're all committed to that taking place. There had been a bit of speculation this week that a sort of June the 30th deadline perhaps had been mentioned by a few teams, but you know from what we've heard today that that hasn't been even talked about yeah. in today's Premier League meeting. And you know for for these clubs, we speak so much about the financial aspect of things and. It's not something that I enjoy reporting on, to be honest. All of the the big fees and the big money, it's it's something that we have to speak about. But you know, you'd rather talk about the football. But it, the money is important, and I think certainly the television deal in the Premier League is is bigger than any other league in the world. It's far far too much for for the Premier League clubs not to get that money because 
you know, they've all been planning. Nobody expected that the coronavirus would happen and, and football would stop like this. All of their accounts are, are set up to have this Premier League money. Most of that money they've already been paid in advance. So if this season gets voided, you know, Sky Sports and, and BT Sport, who cover the Premier League football in this country, would quite rightly want their money back. They would get that money back because, you know, it's far too yeah. substantial for them not to. And, you know, some some Premier League clubs really definitely rely on that. You know, the likes of, mm. of Burnley, by the time August comes around, Burnley, you know, might not exist if they don't have that, that football, um, you know, television rights money. So everything points towards the season being resumed. And then mm. you, you've got to think about, you know, this this pandemic might come back. So what would yeah. be the point in, in voiding this season, just forgetting about this, starting a new season? You might get 10 games into that and then we're all off work and, and back at home again. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to finish the season now. It's well, Yeah, I mean, if anything, probably makes, more, probably makes more sense to just if necessary, void next season. And then so we've got a bit more time to, to recover. But but I think one of the points I did want to make and kind of link it back with BVB is that it's, it's two clubs. Uh, I mean, not only do you share the, the famous you'll never walk alone, but um, you also share the fact that you have these famous crowds and it's a huge part of the identity of the club and, and, and definitely is, you know, there's the, the 12th man cliche, but it, it really is an, an element for these two clubs. And you raise an interesting point because you know BVB are still within a within a shout of of the Bundesliga title this season and and it will be interesting to see the impact of of, of no attendances having on these clubs. I mean, Constantine, what do you what do you reckon? Do you reckon that BVB could be affected by? I mean, Liverpool are pretty much their champions. It's just a matter of you know, playing the games to sort that out. But but for BVB, I mean, in your experience, and, and Ben as well, do you think the lack of crowds could affect performances in the Bundesliga? I think it definitely can. Um, I mean, when you talked, I just recently talked to the, the, the psychologist of the, of the German national team. Uh, I've been there since 2004, and he talks about how crowds and the, the crowd applauding or booing or something, how that really gets a lot of players going, and they need the reward or uh, just the, the, the intensity from from the crowd, especially as these Bundesliga players are so used to the crowds. Um, I mean, there's not some Sunday league uh, players who know that only their grand, uh, grandma is watching. Um, so I think that can uh, hurt Dortmund, especially at home games. Especially there, uh, where, where Dortmund is really a force, um, and without a crowd, it's pretty pretty shallow inside the Ostfalenstadion. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Constantine. I mean, uh, if we look back at, uh, I think it was last season, wasn't it, Constantine, when the the Zoo Tribuna was closed against RB Leipzig? Uh, sorry, against Hoffen was it against Hoffenheim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of the RB Leipzig incident, where the fans basically threw some stones and attack that are be like the fans um, and um, it was it, and then we also had another uh, situation where the uh, the fans across Germany kept 15 minutes of silence uh, to protest against tickets in the Bundesliga and each of those incidents were basically they really kind of um, just showed how the crowds are, are really uh, part of the whole thing. And I think particularly at Dortmund, but also at Anfield, I remember going up in 2016 to that 
quarterfinal. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the, the crowds at Anfield are very much like Dortmund. And I think that's why we've got so much in common. It's just, it, it's a very a sort of close stadium, very close to the pitch, extremely intense and very much the 12th man. So, yeah, I mean, I watched that PSG game and I just felt like um, it's just, you know, it just wasn't worth watching, basically. I mean, it was, you know, sure, you're watching Borussia Dortmund, which is terrific, but somehow there's really something missing uh, when the fans are not involved in it. Um, as you say, Constantine, it motivates the players, but it also kind of just jacks up the whole thing. It just gives everyone like an impression of intensity and something really like you're know, participating, taking part in the whole thing, you know. So I absolutely agree. I think that, um, you know, it would be a tremendous shame, um, as Matt said, if, if uh, Liverpool didn't get to properly celebrate. I remember last year when they won the Champions League, I think it was a, uh, a friend of mine, Carol, was up in Liverpool. He's studying there. A million people out on the streets. I mean, I didn't even know Liverpool had a million people who lived there. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, well, the, the population, just to, to quickly jump in on that, I mean, the population of Liverpool is about 420,000. Right. So, I mean, that, that just puts into perspective, really. You know, there was more than a million people on the streets. Yeah. It was, yeah, to be denied of that after a Premier League title win would be disastrous. Yeah. Well, we can look forward to Skypes on the streets of Liverpool, um, maybe when you win, because <laughs> I don't really see another, another choice. But hey, I mean, go- no, I, mean, I I do worry actually. I do worry about Liverpool winning the league anytime soon because you know, no lockdown. <laughs> no matter how Boris shakes his head at us, there is no way you're going to contain the Liverpool population from going berserk when they finally win the Premier League title. <laughs> but hey, um, let's move on, Jay. I just wanted to quickly jump in on that because yeah, you know, there's a great example of a game with no fans was obviously the PSG Champions League game against uh, Borussia Dortmund uh, just before this all, uh, you know, stopped football happening. And as a spectator watching that on TV, it was atrocious watching it, you know, just watching and uh, it clearly affected uh, Dortmund in, in, in the way that they played and obviously affected a result as well. Um, obviously not PSG because they got through and won the game, but that's, that's just a, that's just a, a recent example of you know the lack of fans affecting a game and nobody wants to see that but I, I, I dread that happening going back to football it'd be great to have it on TV but it's not even as a spectator on TV it's no it's it's not it's not the same it's just I'd rather I, I don't know whether I'd rather not have football back and watch it with no crowds in the game or just wait until you know it can come back properly Football's not a game without the fans for me. I just, you know, and, you know, be, you know, with Liverpool fan on here and obviously we're talking about Borussia Dortmund, both big on, you know, the, the, the fan experience and, and everything that goes with it. It's just, yeah, for me, it just doesn't really work. Mm. No, definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. It's, it, you know, yeah. we, we're never going to, whatever the outcome is, no not everyone's going to be happy. Do you know what I mean? And, no, I uh, and oh, it's an interesting one. You're an Arsenal fan. You're used to having no atmosphere. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why I'm just like, eh, who cares? <laughs> it's quite anyway, Tom, Tom doesn't know what we're talking about. That's what it is. That's... <laughs> what about our common that's... heritage? Come on, Matt. Tell us about Liverpool and Dortmund fans. We are the best. Let's be truthful. <laughs> so certainly on on Champions League nights, Anfield is. Is of course famed for that, and yeah, as you say, there's there's lots of links between Liverpool and Dortmund, and I think 
the fans are probably the the biggest one of those just you know in the way that they galvanize the the team and you mentioned the 2016 game between the sides before and sort of Dortmund were were on the receiving end of of Anfield if you like on that occasion so yeah look football without fans as we've said before is is nothing and you know just to, to go back to what Jay said before I mean would you rather have football without fans or no football at all I think at the moment a lot of people probably would say yeah just just bring it back we'll have it on TV but maybe after a couple of matches of that you might go actually this is yeah. this isn't as good as what I thought it was it's a tricky one isn't it Constantine, how do you experience the Liverpool Dortmund connection? Were you watching the 2016 match uh, in Dortmund? Uh, were you at Anfield? Uh, no, I wasn't at the matches, uh, but of course I I, I, I watched them, uh, especially because of the connection uh, Klopp and Dortmund uh, was a. I mean, yeah. these these kinds of of matches. Uh, write the headlines for themselves, basically. Um, you got got Jürgen Klopp, who led Dortmund to some of the recent or the biggest successes uh, post-1990. Um, and then he goes over to Liverpool and you know, beats Dortmund at the end. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, think, I think there are a lot of uh, lot of similarities, especially, I mean, si- since the 60s when Dortmund beat Liverpool in the European Cup. Um, and then moving forward, I... I think you can compare the two uh, in many regards, especially because, um, I mean, Dortmund has always been basically the, the Joe Frazier to Bayern Munich's Muhammad Ali. That's that's something for a reference. And 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 when I and, and as a kid when I started watching Premier League, um, nineteen late nineteen nineties and two thousands. I mean, Liverpool. Sometimes there were some dire years, of course, but Liverpool often looked like the Joe Frazier to, to Manchester United's Muhammad Ali. Uh, to, in some regards, he's always, always not the powerhouse, but the but the really uh, quitty nitty challenger um, mm. who might edge out a win. Of course, with Liverpool, I mean the Liverpool won the la- an, an English Championship the last time when Margaret Thatcher was still in number ten. Um, so I mean, it's uh, and Dortmund had more success domestically, uh, but Liverpool, of course, especially internationally, had, uh, had more success than Dortmund. So I think both clubs are uh, naturally underdogs against uh, the powers uh, domestically and also uh, in Europe, but still have these highlights where really the fans are behind them and they can create a hype with a personality like Klopp uh, or back in the day Hitzfeld, for instance, uh, and 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 Summer uh, as as the captain, and you can see that with Liverpool it's the same. You have uh, with uh, coaches uh, who can really create hype and players like Gerard. Um, so I think both clubs really they have these high the highs, and then sometimes they have the lows, and, mm. and that's also comparable. And yeah, you have other connections, but I think I always compare the two because of their history and how they how they basically um, compete especially in within their leagues but also internationally let's 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 move on to the um to the obvious connection between liverpool and dortmund is obviously jürgen klopp matt your thoughts on the impact that he's had at liverpool because you know as we rightly said liverpool were in a bit of a a bit of a state a few years ago brendan rogers came along um and and did you know from from my perspective being a premier league fan, english football fan did a decent enough job, but couldn't get you guys over the line. Um, Jurgen Klopp's come in and done a quite amazing job. What what's been the difference that, that you know from from Klopp to to previous managers? What what's he what's he brought to the club that other other managers just haven't been able to do? 
Uh, to be honest, uh, I think it's been recruitment has been the the big uh, positive really from from what Brendan Rodgers had done. He didn't really get along with sporting director Michael Edwards. He didn't really like the idea of somebody else being able to buy the players that he would then have to coach. Um, whereas Jurgen Klopp has been the complete opposite. He's embraced the, the sort of an analytical and, and statistical way that Liverpool do their recruitment now. He's maybe trusted the backroom team to, to bring him players that they know will work better than, than others. Um, and yeah, that, that's been the, the real difference, I think. He's, you know, he's trusted players who've come in when Liverpool signed Mohamed Salah, for example, you know he he wasn't you know particularly keen, but he said, well, the data suggests that that he's the right man for us. I'll go with my backroom team, and and he's embraced that. And obviously, you know, 44 goals in his first season would suggest he was probably quite right to do that. So, to, to be honest, I think you know when when you look at some of the the Liverpool teams of the past, you think of of the 13-14 team under Brendan Rodgers, as you say, that, that went so close to winning the title. They they just needed to go out and, and get it right that following summer, but but they couldn't do that. Even in the past, under you know Gerard Houllier, they, they finished second in, in the sort of early 2000s, and again, they, they went out and, and bought the wrong players. You know, they, they ended up with you know, the likes of, of El Hadji Juf and, and players like that coming in, which you know just took them backwards rather than forwards, whereas... Under Jurgen Klopp, it's just been, you know, one step at a time going up the ladder. But, you know, up being the crucial word, it's always been a step forward. He's quickly identified the, the slots that needed filling. You know, left back has been a problem for, for years. He goes out and buys Andy Robertson and probably the best left back in the world or certainly one of the, the top three at the moment. He's just got that right time and time again. And he just knows how to get the best out of these players. He's a ridiculously infectious character, isn't he, Klopp? And, you know, he's obviously come from Dortmund with all that experience with him. Um, ben, it was obviously a, a real wrench to, for, for Borussia Dortmund fans to lose uh, a manager of that calibre. Um, what, what was the feeling, you know, among, among the, uh, the, the fan group when it was you know, revealed that he was going to be moving to Liverpool? Yeah, I mean, um, I wrote an article at the time. It was actually my first article that I wrote. Um, it was for a, a magazine in an online magazine in Germany called Kip mich die Kirche, which Constantly probably doesn't may or may not know. Not it's not especially well known, but it's a uh, and it's a fanzine basically. And and uh, I must say that um, I think like any other Dortmund fan, um, I've been following Dortmund since 1982, uh, and um, I've seen a lot of coaches come and go, um, you know, Paul Chen, Ibranko Zebic, uh, Otmar Hitzfeld, and, and many, many, many more, um, you know, Bert van Marwijk and so on, um, Matthias Sama. But there, there was only one Jurgen Klopp for me. And I remember writing the article, I just basically wrote that it was as if your, you know, your best, uh, you know, your best friend was leaving or your uncle or your, your favorite uncle or something like that. He was just... He was just someone who uh, really, he didn't just embody the spirit of Borussia Dortmund. At a time he came up from Mainz, um, where he had been a, a relatively good forward. Um, and uh, he'd kept them up in the first division. I think he actually took them up from the Zweite Liga uh, to the first uh, in the Bundesliga. And he, he basically came to Dortmund at a time around 2008, I think. Konstantin, just jump in if I've got it wrong there. But uh, he, 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 uh, he wasn't a forward, he was a right back. Uh, and he's, he himself said that he was a, a really bad football player, just a good runner. 
just stamina, <laughs> no, no, no skills. Thank you. I, I brought that upon myself, didn't I? But they came, he came up from Mainz to the first, didn't he? Brought them up from the Yeah, he, sa he saved them from relegation when he, I mean, Mainz was a typical second division site. Uh, nothing fancy, just, yeah. you know, guts, guts and blood. Uh, and yeah, he saved mm -hmm. them from relegation. And later he, he uh, yeah, he was promoted with Mainz uh, coming into the Bundesliga. Yeah. But so in essence, um, the Dortmund club were uh, minutes away from going bankrupt at the time. And um, basically, um, uh, my, uh, they, they took a risk on this young coach, Jurgen Klopp, um, and he basically did some extremely clever signings. Um, and um, the young team uh, basically managed to win the double uh, and uh, win, win the double and, and win a, ch a championship and then get to the 2013 Champions League final beyond anybody's expectations. Um, you know, in the first season, actually not actually spending that much. And, um, you know, it, it was just like this, as he said, you know, this, this uh, heavy metal football, basically, you know, all attacking kind of football all over the pitch. And Jurgen Klopp, you know, he, he was BVB. I mean, he was, you know, I went to his house once, uh, which is just outside Dortmund. And he's got, uh, it's number 13 on the same street, which Nuri Shahin and Dede live on, two other great legends. And um, it's, it's, it's a yellow number 13. And of course, block 13 is the uh, main ultra section in the zoo tribuna in the yellow wall. So I don't think it's any coincidence that uh, Kloppo chose that. Um, and even today, he spends a lot. Nowadays, he still has a season ticket. He has two season tickets on the yellow wall and uh, uh, sorry, in Dortmund in the Stadion. And he still spends a lot of time in Dortmund in the holidays and so on. Um, you know, I remember a few months ago he was promoting Aki Vatska, the um, uh, CEO of Dortmund's uh, biography. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, he's just basically a Dortmunder Junge, really. You know, I don't know, Konstantin, would you disagree with that? Um, no, not. I mean, I think so. He has grown into some kind of a of a legend in Dortmund over the years. Uh, I mean, of course, he has more ties to Mainz when you look at his biography, uh, because he was a player at Mainz and he coached them for many, many years. Here um, he got his big break um, as a coach for Mainz. As I said, he was a mediocre second division player. I mean, just. Uh, Nothing really fancy to him in that regard, but he came up, he made his strides as a coach for Mainz. Um, he became actually a media darling in 2006 during the World Cup in Germany when he was a TV pundit. And as opposed to many other former players and coaches working as TV pundits, he was quite charming. Um, so that that got him also a big break. And yeah, Dortmund was in, was in need of a of a of such a figure because for years they struggled to get someone uh, on the bench, on the coaching bench, uh, who can really uh, give Dortmund a new identity. I mean, apart from the financial struggles, um, I think after uh, Matthias Sommer left in 2003, um, there wasn't really a coach who gave Dortmund something special. And I think you need, uh, either you have a really smart one like Pep Guardiola for instance really smart intellectual coach or you have someone who give, who gives uh, your club intensity and identity and that's what what club did um plus of course the tactical aspects yeah i think um, i think there was never there was never any question of him not being a, a, a real part of Dortmund society of Dortmund life Borussia Dortmund club life although he was raised in in my
Matt, have you, uh, in your time at the Liverpool Echo, been fortunate enough to uh, uh, have the actual presence of Jurgen Klopp? Um, I, not on a one-on-one basis, but I have been to a couple of his press conferences. And yeah, I mean, look, everything Ben said about him there is, is absolutely spot on. I mean, he's he's one of those characters that as soon as he walks in the room, all the eyes are on him, and, and quite rightly so. I mean, he's mm. he is such a character. Um, and he is exactly the same you know, when the cameras are turned off as as when he's on the television and, and, you know, on Sky Sports News and all that sort of thing. So I think some people, when he first came to England, maybe thought, you know, is this a bit of a facade? Is he putting on a bit of a show here? But, you know, if you, if you speak to any of the, the Liverpool players or the, the players who've worked with him in the past, they will say that, you know, off the pitch, away from football, you know, even in a social sense, he's in exactly the same position. And you know, just to, to touch on a, another part of that is, you know, just how well integrated into to life in Liverpool that that he is now. I mean, he's he's very, very comfortable here. I think maybe when he first came into England, he maybe didn't quite realise how good a fit Liverpool was for him and for his personality. I think obviously he knew he was going to enjoy it and he was going to have a good time. And, and you know, hopefully he could win a few things with Liverpool, which has, has proven to be the case. But I think now it it would be a real wrench for him to leave, just as it was for him to leave Dortmund. I think when the time comes, and it's going to be at least 2024, which is when his contract is due to expire, you know, it's going to be a similar sort of of reception and a similarly difficult decision for him to leave Liverpool now. Probably. Oh, totally. I mean, I, you mentioned there uh, when I remember when he came to England, and obviously we we knew him um, as the very successful coach at Dortmund, but. From my my perhaps my cynical English view, I was a bit like, who is this guy? Who do you think he is? Get your hair cut, come on. And uh, uh, but but you know he really uh, I, I I'm not going to admit to be particularly fond of Liverpool, but I definitely admire what he's done there. And he's one of those coaches that everyone in the country wishes was their coach. I think he's just mm. so fun. And I just I, I remember when when you won the Champions League and he was the victory parade perched over the bus and he did that little thing where he counted the titles on his one hand and then pulled up his um his thumb to, to be the sixth title and I just thought he's so fun he gets it he knows kind of he's an entertainer he's like yeah he just he just yeah he's 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 the, the fun teacher that you wanted to have you know he he was that's what he seems like and he it doesn't I think at first my cynicism was that it was a bit put on but you can tell from just how much we've we've got to know him over the over the years that just how how sincere he he is and how ingratiated he is with with both clubs um bvb and uh, and liverpool i mean the fact that his house is still um you know decorated in dortmund colors as ben quite creepily uh, described in detail lingering outside of <laughs> club house. i'm not quite sure i hope you were there in an official capacity um constantine have you ever had the chance have you ever had the chance to meet uh, uh the great man himself yeah of course uh at a couple of uh, a couple of occasions i met him at uh at, at basically coaching meeting, sometimes there are seminars uh, organized by the German FA where coaches give speeches um, and I was invited uh, to talk and that's why when I met him, I think the first time um, or was it? Yeah, I think so. And of course, because I have uh, because of connections to Thomas Tuchel and I mean, once upon a time, Tuchel and, and Klopp, they were pretty close or at least you know, talk. We're talking to each other a lot. Um, that's where I also uh, met Club a few times. 
um, in, in more of a private setting, so to say. Um, I think there are other coaches where it's it's much more fun to talk about details regarding football, uh, like what's going on the, on, the, on the pitch. Klopp isn't that kind of guy who talks like a detail of, of like all these minor things that are happening. I mean, Tuchel or others are more interesting in that regard, I guess, if you really want to talk in detail. But if you want to talk about more a grand strategy, um, and like thinking behind it, that psychology behind certain things uh, you do as a coach or as a, as a club uh, entirely, then club uh, is really a great guy to talk to because I think he gets it. Now, I, I'm, I'm certain he gets it. And um, it's not a facade what he's putting on, but mm. still he's following with everything he does. He still has something in mind. Uh, it's not like random. He's not randomly so, so intense. There's more to it, um, and when you look into his background, his, his academic background, his the academic background of his wife uh, also, you see that there is there is something behind it. He's he's a fun he's a fun personality, but he's also very very clever uh, in what he does uh, as a coach. Um, because he not only tries to outcoach our coaches, he also tries to outsmart uh, outsmart them any way possible. No, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's, that's very. Um interesting observation and very true as well um uh before we before we wrap up the show i mean it, it, I've, I've really enjoyed this chat and I'm, I'm sure we could go on a lot longer but um the uh, we'd be remiss for not mentioning the fact that uh the two clubs that we've been talking about bbb and liverpool of course share uh you never walk alone um and i i, I just i i mean obviously liverpool heavily uh, affiliated with that song um how does that how does that feel, Matt? You know, have, like kind of having that shared connection of that song is such a powerful thing for for Liverpool fans, and then seeing it being sung over in Germany. How does that feel from your point of view? Yeah, um, it's a it's a really interesting link, isn't it? We've spoken about Jurgen Klopp being that link, and I think that was one of the the things that he said when he came into Liverpool was that he wanted to experience "You'll Never Walk Alone" in a different stadium, and of course, you know, he he gets to do that regularly now and. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I'm not sure really how many Liverpool fans realise that, that Borussia Dortmund used this song as well before Jurgen Klopp came in. I don't think it was a, a really publicised thing in England. I'm not too sure. You know, Certainly, you know, I think a few people would have been aware of it, but it wasn't such a big thing. I think it, it only sort of became a proper link in the eyes of Liverpool fans once Klopp had, had sort of established that. And, you know, Liverpool have, are obviously synonymous with with You'll Never Walk Alone, and, and they've sort of sang it at Anfield since the 1950s, 1960s, when it first came out. And, and Dortmund then followed in, in, I believe, the sort of mid-90s was, was when it first started over in Dortmund. So it's interesting. I think certainly, you know, we, we spoke about the, the quarterfinal in 2016, and that game was sort of set up by that beautiful rendition by, by both sets of supporters. And I think football fans get a bad rap sometimes from the general press and, and from people who don't particularly like football. But that was a moment that, you know, anybody would have looked at that and, and sort of gone, wow, you know, even if you're not a football fan or, or you don't support either of those two teams, that was a, a really magical moment to be a part of. Yeah, I would just jump in there and say that I went to, um, as a BBB fan club president, I went to the FIFA uh, World Football Awards that year when the... Um, when the uh, award was presented to Liverpool and Dortmund jointly for uh, the best fan experience and um, and for the for that rendition you talked about Matt and um, Todd Schild, who's the who was the president of the fan department of Borussia Dortmund, 
uh, went down to the stage uh, with his compatriot. I, I don't recall who it was from LFC, but um, because of the in, in honor of the 96 uh, and the anniversary of the 96 uh, who died at uh, Hillsborough, uh, um, we, we handed the award to Liverpool, um, which I think in some ways I kind of like it, it kind of revitalized that relationship that's always. I, I was just trying to, I was just thinking before the game about the 2002 match between Dortmund and. Uh, and and, uh, and and Liverpool and and, and remembering that in in, in comparison, uh, you know, that the the atmosphere in 2016, both in Dortmund and at Anfield, where I was um, that weekend, we had a we had a friendly match against the London Reds, um, the the London uh, Liverpool fan club, um, which I'm pleased to say we won five nil. But then we went up to Anfield on the coach together with them, about 35 of the London fan club members. And um, and it was such good spirits all the way on the way up to Anfield. And then even, I mean, half of our members were, ended up watching the match in the cop. I can't even imagine what that was like. But I have to say that on the way, you know, on the way out of the ground, the Liverpool fans were so friendly, you know, shaking our hands and just, you know, so, so respectful. And it reminded me a lot of um, a, a Dortmund player uh, from the 97 team called Martin Cray, who I interviewed a couple of years ago. Uh, for Ruhrnachrichten newspaper in Germany um, about the 20th anniversary of the 97 Champions League. And Martin was just saying that when they played at, uh, at Anfield, they had a friendly at Anfield um, back in the early 90s, um, he was just saying that how, you know, he's never, ever experienced such a fair crowd. You know, he remembered just, you know, being they scored and that and, and they were clapped clapped off the pitch and so on and so much respect and and uh, I think you know in England uh, especially since Heisel and, uh, and 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 so on in Hillsborough you know which which where there, where there where there were confrontation problems and people loss of life and so on I think you know and Liverpool fans have kind of always got a really bad kind of you know rap and in so many ways, um, you know, Dortmund fans uh, in the past, in the 80s and so on, also had quite a reputation. And I think in some ways, like, we've just kind of both clubs have turned the curve and have really become kind of, you know, really successful and really fan-centred clubs. And that's what makes them both so attractive. Um, Matt, one thing I'd like to ask is, I mean, is a lot of this kind of, do you think, um, just one-sided? Or am I right in saying that, um, you know, the, the thing like the match we played against the London Reds, uh, you know, and uh, and travelling up on together uh, on the coach and so on? I mean, do you think it's, you know, is that is that a, a real friendship from the Liverpool side? Because you've had a long-standing friendship with uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach fans, but I feel perhaps somewhat the Dortmund connection is a bit stronger right now. What would you say? Is it one-sided, or or is it is it from the Liverpool side? Is there an affection for Dortmund as well in Liverpool? I think there's definitely an affection. I think you know Liverpool fans generally, as you say, at times do get a bit of a bad rap. But I think that's not necessarily because it's it's Liverpool directly, but more just football fans in general. Sometimes, certainly in this country, have that sort of perception from from certain news outlets and certain sort of parts of society. But you know, in terms of that friendship, I think Liverpool certainly you know they they relish being the underdog and that's a little bit difficult at this moment in time when you know you're the champions of the world and european champions and that sort of thing but liverpool at its heart are best similarly to dortmund when their backs against the wall when they're 3-0 down against barcelona in a, a champions league semi-final and then they come back and they win 4-3 
you know, things like that, I think, you know, that there is a link between the two clubs and, and Liverpool fans do sometimes get a bit of stick for maybe looking to the past a little bit and, and you know, reminiscing a little bit too much at times. But I think certainly in this sort of case, there are loads of examples of, of Liverpool fans sort of enjoying previous memories and, and Dortmund possibly similar as well you know looking back fondly at, at certain European nights and certain moments whether that's under Jurgen Klopp or, or elsewhere and you mentioned the the link to Borussia Mönchengladbach and I think that 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 sort of started in the the 1970s when the two teams were, were big across Europe and obviously Mönchengladbach haven't been you know at the at the absolute peak of, of German football for, for some time now so I think it makes sense that Liverpool sort of gravitate more towards a different German team and you know it, it's never going to be a Bayern Munich or a team like that because you know Liverpool have that relationship with say a Manchester City or a Chelsea in the same way that Dortmund have that with Bayern Munich you know it's always a sort of underdog team who has less money to, to splash about in the transfer market they have to do things a slightly different way and I certainly think you know Liverpool fans look at Borussia Dortmund and see a team which is is similar to them in in many ways and the obvious links we've discussed are Klopp and the fans and that sort of thing but I think there's there's other things as well that, that tie the two clubs together definitely and I'm sure that but I'm sure all the niceties there will be eradicated if uh, Jaden Sancho then goes to Anfield and um, I'm sure you won't <laughs> be pining for Liverpool's affection there Ben hey um that uh, we we've just come about uh, we've just come to the end of the third episode of the Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London podcast um, I want to give a massive thank you to our to our guests. I've really enjoyed this conversation today. Uh, Constantine Eckner, uh, editor of... Oh, here we go. Do I remember how to pronounce it? <laughs> here we go again. Spilverlagen? Yeah, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> I, I take it. Yeah, we take it. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, uh, Constantine, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been it's been great to have your insight. Uh, if you would like to plug anything um, on the sh- on on the show, uh, please go ahead. Yeah, thanks for having me. And yeah, just go to my Twitter profile. My handle is cc underscore e c k n e r, cc underscore Eckner. Uh, yeah, and I will share my articles and everything else I do there. Um, and, and Matt, uh, it's been great to have your uh, your insights as well from a Liverpool perspective, hearing about the great links between these two clubs. Uh, where can um, where can our listeners find you? Uh, so you can find all of my pieces across the, the Liverpool Echo website if you want to, to keep in touch with all of those sorts of things. And, and on all the, the various social media platforms as well, Twitter being the main one, which is uh, at Matt Addison 97, which is A-double-D-I-S-O-N is Addison. And uh, yeah, again, all of my articles and random thoughts that pop into my head will appear onto my Twitter timeline. Okay, Jay, um, I, I, we've, we've got something new to plug, haven't we? Yes, we do. Yeah. The uh, Music and Sports Social have a new Facebook page. Head on over to the Music Sports Social on Facebook. We're also on Twitter, at SS and also on Instagram as well. Same handle. Uh, head on over there. We're, we'd be plugging the uh, podcast and everything else that we're doing at the moment. We're obviously off there at the moment, so uh, it's great to get stuck into these podcasts. Absolutely. And Ben, if you could tell uh, everyone who's anyone who's listening, who's for some reason not yet uh, part of the uh, the BVB uh, London fan club, um, tell them where they can find it. Absolutely. 
Okay, well, firstly, thank you so much, guys, uh, everybody, for being on the show. Wonderful reminiscences of Liverpool and Dortmund. I hope to do it again sometime. Um, we are the Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London. Uh, the Stammtisch meetup is based at uh, Naughty Bar in Cleveland Street in London, and you can find us on Facebook at um, Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London. Fan Club being two words. Don't even ask me why I got that wrong when I set it up in the first place in 2013. By the way, we celebrate our seven-year anniversary next week how about that happy anniversary happy anniversary yeah that was the most anticlimactic celebration ever we all just kind of went quiet (laughs) seven years yes (laughs) i want to ask matt what are the chances of mario goetze signing for liverpool uh, well, I was actually having a chat this week with uh, a German football commentator, Kevin Hatchard, who, who covers the Bundesliga from time to time, and uh, he seemed to indicate that there is a possibility of it happening. But I mean, from all that we hear, I think it's quite unlikely, to be honest. I think Mario Götze's age, his injury record, his wages, I think all of it points towards maybe that not happening. But you never know, it's a free transfer. So it's it's one of those, I think, to keep an eye on and certainly it'll be filling up a few gossip columns between now and, and whenever that summer transfer window happens. I mean, if you get rid of, of Shakiri, then you need someone else who has like the, the square shape. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is, is this one of those famous made-up stories from Constantin that he admitted to earlier in the show? No, no my, 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 uh, mine is uh, Götze to Hertha BSC. Hertha okay. <laughs> okay. All right, well. Uh, there you go. <laughs> on that note, um, that's the end of uh, episode three of the Borussia Dortmund London Fan Club podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, join the Facebook page. Uh, thank you to everyone for your kind feedback so far. Do share this podcast with um, with as much people as possible. Um, shout out to Alexander Martin, who's uh, who's commented uh, saying that he's been. Uh, uh, a German listener, so he's been listening along, saying that uh, he's actually using this podcast to improve his English. Uh, I mean, what a what a stupid idea! <laughs> it's being not from you, Tom, is uh, it? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, well, yeah, maybe I can use this podcast to improve my German, um, especially with my pronunciations earlier. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, thank you, Alexander, for your for your comments, uh, and yeah, we wish you well. Um, and thank you to everyone. Uh, like, subscribe, uh, BBB. Fan Club London podcast. That's it for another week. We're going to take a break for a couple of weeks, but we'll be back very soon with a very exciting guest coming up in the near future. So uh, look out on our social channels for announcements on that. Until then, stay safe, stay home, and, and stay well. Yeah.